Hey, what's going on? Pastor Jay here with Portrait Church. Portrait Church exists to give people a renewed picture of Jesus and his church. And in this series, that is our goal. There's many pictures and different caricatures that the world presents that are honestly false images of who Jesus is. And we want to take this series and hear from Jesus himself and what he has to say about who he is. So we hope that this message series leaves you more impressed with Jesus and leaves you with a greater understanding of who he is. If you would like to know more about our church, you can find us online at portrait.church or look us up on social media or find us on Sundays over at the Mitten Building in Redlands. Hope to see you soon. And I hope you enjoyed this message. So 2024, is, isn't it crazy that it's like about to be here? Like we just had Thanksgiving. And I know some of y'all were like, I just made New Year's resolutions that I just remembered about. <laughs> and like we're already in Thanksgiving, right? And it's crazy because every year, I mean, the same thing happens, right? Everyone ramps up their marketing campaigns because it's a new year. It's supposed to be a new you. They're trying to give you a vision for how you could just be a better version of yourself, Right, the most, like the best-selling books outside of the Bible tend to be self-help books, you know, books that help you change your inner self or your uh, level up on life. And you'll find a lot of language like that where, you know, people are trying to point you back to you to change. And they'll give you all sorts of like, hey, I got the best kept secret. We found this in 2023. It's just got a new wig on it. It hasn't changed. But they wanna, they, they wanna create like some mechanical way that you can become the best version of you. Or there's a more moralistic way where it's like, well, if you just do X, Y, and Z, then you'll be good and things will be better. And the problem is a lot of times I see Christians fall into traps like this, followers of Jesus. They fall into traps thinking that we could grow in a mechanical way or a more moralistic way and change because if we're all honest, we're all longing to change. We're all longing to have a greater impact. We're all thinking about who we wanna become. And I guarantee many people in this room are thinking, man, there's so much that I wanna change about myself next year that I've experienced this year. Whether for good, I wanna continue doing this, or for, for hard, man, this has been hard and I wanna change. I just wanna remind you, if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you're even considering following Jesus, I want you to kind of get, uh, kind of rid yourself of that thinking for this morning. Because followers of Jesus are not immune to these kinds of thinking traps. You know, we experience burnout and find that the bargain of performing for God so that our life will go how we hoped hasn't really paid off. So many people come disillusioned with their faith and their souls are so exhausted because they thought, well, surely if I did these things then God would change my life, well, what's happening here? Why is my life not, you know, panning out the way I thought it would be? And I wanna remind you that the Christian life is not designed to be run by willpower, drive, or even a vision for making an impact. It was meant to be powered by the love of Jesus that comes through an intimate connection with him an intimate connection with him. Many people in this room probably have a lot of church hurt or spiritual abuse, potentially, potentially, because when you became a Christian, all you heard was, well, this is what you gotta do and this is how you gotta serve. You didn't hear, well, this is who you get to be with. And so a lot of what y'all do and what I've grown up doing is we, we become so performative 
in how we pursue God. Then we get disillusioned because we thought, well, I thought if I did these things, then my life would equal out and turn out to be this way. Jesus is after organic transformation and change, not mechanical, not behavior modification, not some moralistic way of forceful compliance. He's after an organic change inside of you and inside of me. And so the tension here is that God is committed to producing goodness and a type of greatness that's inside of you and it's inside of me. But do we have the same definition of goodness and greatness that Jesus describes? In this main text, we see imagery of a vine. We see imagery of a branch. And that's often how Jesus would communicate in these stories and in these pictures. And the vine, as you read in scripture, the vine is this imagery of of a, a source of life. It's the connected source. See, the branch cannot exist without the vine. And the vine is the source of all growth. You can't do anything with, uh, as a branch, you can't do anything without the vine. And the branch is absolutely dependent on the vine. And what he's doing in this text is he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to his people, people who follow him and say, you simply cannot do anything without me. I am the vine, you are the branch. And so what scripture always, always points to this thing called fruit. It's, it's this metaphorical fruit, a fruit being the character that is produced inside of us, godly character. So you'll see in Galatians 5, and 23, where it talks about the fruit of the spirit, which is often things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, faithfulness. Because what he's getting at here is he saying that the type of goodness, the type of character that I want to see in you cannot be done without me. It can't. I am the vine. You are the branch. And so Jesus is using this imagery here. And then he goes on and he talks about what is the vine dresser, the gardener. He talks about his father, our heavenly father. And he says, he prunes. And he cuts back. It says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. This idea of pruning, I'm not, look it, I'm not a gardener, but your boy has been trying. We got some roses in the front of our house. Ask my wife, I almost killed them, but I am happy to report that they are alive and well. And I will gladly come help plant roses for a small fee of like five grand, okay? So just, you know, I got a lot of kids. So, but this idea of pruning, this idea of pruning is this, it's, it's to like cut back. It's to, it's to cleanse. It's, it's to remove the dead things on the plant or the, the flower, whatever the case may be. It's to remove the, even, even the overgrown things. It's a refinement and, the, and, and here's what it says in the text, that he removes things that don't produce fruit, but he also prunes them because there's more fruit to be had. So if you're following me with the analogy here, the idea that God is trying to produce more fruit, more godly character in every single one of us, the way in which he does that is through pruning. And here's the thing, pruning it's not, it's not an easy process. 
I feel like this was one of those scriptures, at least for me, when I grew up hearing about Jesus and the Bible and this whole idea of like remaining with him, it's a term that we are going to, that we are going to learn called abiding, which just like, yeah, like, oh man, that's just so I can get what I want. And if I remain in him, everything's going to turn out all the good ways. But this idea of pruning here is that God is going to have to remove things in your life in order to produce a godly character in you. He has to. And there's even things in here that are overgrown, right? And so it may look good, like there's a lot going on, but what he knows here is that, oh, no, 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 I have to prune this. And every, as I research in vine dressers and people that, that, that actually do this for a living, you don't want stuff that's overgrown because it could damage the whole branch and you actually have to prune things. You have to prune them. Some of, even, even some of the beautiful flowers or the beautiful fruit, you got to prune it in order so that more is produced and more quality is produced. Quality. You see, a lot of y'all are, are, you're making a lot of money, but God could be in a season where he's going to prune you because you're too reliant upon that money and there's a greater quality that he wants to instill in you on how to view money. Some of you, you're in a workplace and, and you haven't got that promotion because God's trying to prune your character because you're not ready for that leadership yet. Because if you did get in that position, it would be all about you. You would be self-righteous. You would be arrogant. And he's like, no, I need to withhold this from you because I have more godly character to instill in you. And that's difficult. I'm not like the reason it's difficult is because we don't have the right perspective on pruning. We don't often, honestly, it's not even on pruning. We don't have the right perspective on God. We could say things like, oh, God works all the good out for those who, God works uh, the good out for those who love him. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally butchering that verse. But y'all, Romans 8, y'all just go look it up, okay? Hey, I'm bringing my person, not my persona. Y'all got it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He works good, right? He works all good things out for those who love him, right? So we love to quote that when things are going good. Oh, it's like we love to quote that on the other side of what we went through, but that's really hard to quote when you're in the middle of something and you have no idea why God has you there. See, the perspective shift that we have to have when it comes to pruning is we have to actually have faith and trust in God's character and who he says that he is. And that's why we spent so much time in this Renewed Jesus series where we hear things like he is the bread of life. He is the light. He is the resurrection and the light. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. And when you know all of these phenomenal qualities about God, then you can trust his pruning process. You can trust it. You can trust. And it's hard because many of us ask the question, why? When I think sometimes God wants us to ask the question, well, God, what do you have this for? Why? Yes, why, but, but what, what, what is this for? What more godly character needs to come out of this? So many of us don't have the right perspective. A lot of us don't have patience for the pruning process. We don't have patience. God, you're taking too long. God, I prayed for two days and nothing has happened yet. <laughs> two. And the first day I got distracted half of it and I had to start over like 18 times. We don't have the patience, but can I tell you that, that there's something about 
being patient and waiting for God to, to work and, and to move that is so incredibly difficult in our rapid Amazon Prime culture. It's so hard. It is so hard. But that's the difference between if you view God as a genie or if you view him as your heavenly father who prunes for the sake of producing more godly character, who's making you wait, not because he's holding out on you, because he's actually holding on to you. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And a lot of it is, and I have so much grace and compassion because a lot of it is how many of us in the room have been discipled, have been trained to follow and think about God. But no, he could have you in a patient season because he knows that if you got everything that you wanted your way, how you wanted it, you would no longer depend on him. You wouldn't. And so he's pruning and we need to have a level of patience. And part of the, and the last reason I think this is the hardest one is that we don't trust the pruning process because of pain. Because of pain. Let's just be honest. I'm gonna get into it in a little bit more, but maybe this will connect with some of you. Some of you, are thinking, oh, okay, God, so I, it, was it the fourth miscarriage where I was supposed to have some godly character produced here? Was it after he abused me or after this divorce? Was it after I lost my kid to cancer? Was that supposed to be part of your plan for producing godly character? The pain, I, and I feel for so many of you, and I can resonate a little bit with some of that, but many of you don't like the pruning process because of the pain that you have experienced. And I wanna let you know that's okay to bring your pain and doubts and frustrations to God. He got really big shoulders, he can carry it all. He can. And the secret to the life of transformation, the secret to the life where God gets to pull greatness out of you and greatness again, according to him, is godly character and fruit. Greatness, according to the world, is more status, it's more power, it's more money, it's more things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sacrificial love, fruit that's produced that makes you look and become more like Jesus and then do the things of Jesus. This greatness comes from abiding, abiding. And this word abiding is found by this phrase to remain. The word abiding means to dwell, to take residence. It means that you're staying. Like you don't have an Airbnb relationship with God. Like you've made it your home. You've made it your home. He says in verse four, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains, remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. I love how Dallas Willard puts uh, this idea of abiding. He says, abiding is like inhaling the reality of the kingdom of God, especially through internalizing the words of God and then putting those words into action. This idea of abiding, remaining, means that you fully trust and understand that you can't produce fruit without God. You can't produce fruit without the vine. He says, nothing without me you can do. And I found that phrase interesting. It says, uh, unless you remain it, neither can you, uh, unless you remain in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. I find that phrase interesting. You can do nothing without me. Well, God, we do a lot of stuff. So what do you mean? 
The heart of what he's getting at here is, no, see, the things that you do with me have eternal impact. The things that you do with me help build my kingdom. Y'all could do a lot of stuff and you're building your own little kingdoms. Y'all could do a lot of stuff and you look really good for people and you're doing it just because you want others to be impressed with you. And at the end of the day, you can do a lot of things and not bring God glory simultaneously. You, you can have all the praise, the, the, the praise and approval of the world and, and have nothing with God. That's a dangerous place to be in. You can have all the likes on social media, but God don't even like that. So what he's getting at is not that you can simply do nothing of no good value, but of no heavenly, earthly, of no heavenly kingdom-minded value. Because the kingdom lasts forever. But we could get so caught up in this world doing things that are temporal, just for temporary gratification, temporary praise. And he's saying, you can't do, there's no good things that come from when you do things apart from me, even in my name. Many of us fall under the trap and illusion that, that we could be a Christian who looks fruitful on the outside by our giftings and maybe how we preach or sing or talk or work, but our life is empty of fruit. People see you for your gift. They see you for your charisma, for your kindness, all these other things, but deep down inside, you're not doing that because you're trying to advance a kingdom. You're doing that because you're trying to fill a hole because you're not abiding with Jesus and he's not enough for you. So everybody else got to become something for you. And he's saying, no, 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 you can't do anything without me. I love Pastor Rich Velotis. He says, it's possible to have a life that doesn't appear fruitful to the world, but is faithful to God. Think about that. It's, it's possible to have a life that doesn't appear fruitful to the world, but is still faithful to God. This is the foolishness of the cross. The cross, the thing that Jesus died on, looked like failure. Oh, you mean the king, this guy that was supposed to come and take over? He's up there dying on the cross sacrificially? That does not look like victory. It doesn't. That's not a viral moment. But that was single-handedly the greatest act of faithfulness that led to the greatest life of fruitfulness. The cross. The very thing that Jesus suffered on our behalf so that you and I might be connected to the vine. And this abiding, this abiding in verse eight, this is what it produces. When we abide and when we remain, it says, my father is glorified. And by this, you produce much fruit and you prove to be my disciples. You see, this whole idea of abiding was not just so that you and I can have our awesome little quiet time with God and pray and fast and do all, read our Bible. It's not just for that. This whole idea of abiding was for the sake of mission. You see, God had his people, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And you'll see in places like Ezekiel 15 and Psalm 80, where he wanted his people to be this vine, this source of hope, this source of life. But the problem with the people of Israel and the problem with us today is that we find things more attractive than God. They found things way more, they had different idols that they pursued more than they actually pursued God. Therefore, they were cut down. And so we, the consequences of not abiding is the fact that we have to actually address our affections. We have to address what we're attracted to. 
metaphorically speaking. Because the problem with idols is that you could turn a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. You could be ultimately have affections for something that God was supposed to have you use as a sir, was supposed to be more of a servant, but you treat it as a master. We, it happens all the time with kids, right? Kids are a great, it's a, it's a great vessel and tool that we get to serve God and love him and, and, and have that manifest through, through, through our loving and, and caring for our kids. But the minute your kids become an idol, you are no longer abiding in Jesus. A lot of times that stuff happens because we, we read something and we think, oh man, like, I guess I should have fed my kids grass wheat this morning because I don't want them to die. And then we just get on this path and trend and, 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 and a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. Same thing with work. I want to climb up the corporate ladder. I want to make more money because if I make more money, I can do X, Y, Z. And all of a sudden it becomes an ultimate thing and not just a good thing. And it's so on, the relationship. Many, maybe you're in a, relationship, a dating relationship right now and it's a, it's a good thing now, but all of a sudden it becomes an ultimate thing because when that relationship is cut off, then your world is all in shambles because you were not connected to the true vine. Work can become a vine. Your kids can become a vine. Your relationship status can become a vine. Your financial bank account can become a vine. All of these things. And what he's trying to say is that there's consequences for when your affections outpace, your affections of the world outpace your affection for me. He says something that is very hard, I think, for us to sit in. And he says that there is a cutting off, a removal. It says that there is a thrown into the fire and there's a burn. Now, many of you are already triggered. Like my brother in the back right there. That was like one of those like awkward giggles where you're like, oh, hey. I appreciated it though. I appreciate you're tracking with me. Here's the thing. Many of us, when we hear things like thrown into the fire, we hear things like burned. Many of you, the first thought that you have is hell. Many. And I, here's the thing, I'm not saying that that's not, but, but what I've seen scriptures like these manipulated, I've seen these manipulated in such a way where you try, your main point of this passage I've heard preached that if you don't abide, you're just going to burn in hell. He's going to cut you out. And a lot of it is based off performance. You're like, what does that mean? Well, if you're not abiding, if you're not doing X, Y, and Z, then you're going to hell. And many of you, you have trauma inside your body right now because even that thought coming up and surfacing, it's hard for you to swallow. And, and I'm not saying that hell is not going to happen, that there's not judgment. I'm just saying the, the, the way in which some, sometimes this passage has been preached in which we've broached this subject often doesn't leave people transformed. It changes their behavior. What do I mean by this? I'll give you an example. Uh, Tim Keller, late great Tim Keller, um, one of just, yeah, spiritual heroes in the faith. Uh, he shared this story one time that I found fascinating. And it was a, it was a story of a husband and of a, of, of a wife. And the wife was just, she, she was at her last straw. She was ready to, to leave. The husband had been neglecting her. He had been uh, just 
working, I think it was like 80 hours a week, never really sleeping at the house. And it got to a point where she's like, Pastor Tim, I need to meet with you. I'm ready to leave my husband. So the husband shows up. He finds out about this because, again, he's been neglecting the relationship. So he shows up and he's like, I'll do anything. She wants to leave. He's just so confused. And he's like, I'll do anything. What needs to happen? And he's like, I'll do X, Y, Z. I'll do all these things. I'll do all these things because he's fearful of her leaving. And so what happens? He goes back. What happens when the fear is no longer there? What happens when he gets a little bit more comfortable with the fact that like, oh, whew, she's not leaving. It's been two months. I think, I think we're good now. But he never changes. You see, oftentimes that's what happens. When we just preach hell and hell and hell, yeah, you'll, you'll create a lot of fear for people to just want to follow Jesus, but it won't transform their heart. Because the second they get back to feeling more comfortable, the second they get back to all things, not in having that fear instilled in them, oh, they're just going to go back. Their heart's not changing. That's why the gospel is so important because that's the only thing that will transform the heart. It's the only thing. I'm not here to, to, to condemn you and, and, and to fear you into hell so that you'll follow Jesus. I'm here to say, yo, I'm telling, sorry, I, yo, is, I'm not cussing. It's not like, it's just track with me. Listen. Following Jesus, him being divine, there's something on the other side of that that can bring life and life to the full. It's hard to explain, but it's the gospel. It's hard to fully comprehend a lot of times because when you experience pain, when you see the realities of the hardship and the pruning, but I'm here to tell you that it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. So there's fear that could cause you to not want to be thrown out or there's pride. The other side of that is probably, well, I'm not going to be like that. The husband could have easily also been like, well, I'm not going to be like those guys who are getting divorces, and I'm not going to be like that. And he has his pride built up because he's looking down on other people instead of looking to God and abiding in the vine and producing the godly character that his wife was surely missing. His heart's not being transformed. The way that metal is bent is that you have to heat it. You have to heat the metal in order, for it to be, in order for it to bend. But if you try and bend metal hard enough, one of two things happens. It either snaps right back into place or it breaks. And so there's something about God having to turn up the heat in some of your lives in this pruning process because he's trying to shape you into more of his likeness and character. I'm not here to bend you. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to change your behavior. I'm not here to snap you into place. Because many of you, that's why you're broken. Many of you, that's why you've dealt with certain things in the church that you have a hard time trusting. But I'll be honest with you, there is, there is a real judgment that's going to happen. There is a real thing called hell, which I just simply believe is just not eternity in heaven with God. Like, I don't, like you, could, you, you could ask me all these different ways to explain purgatory and hell. And you can get into that whole conversation. But the only thing I care about is you not spending an eternity in heaven and paradise with an all good God. That's, that's all the motivation I need. And so I'm telling you that the vine, the thing that is gonna give you the life and, and, and bring about the greatness that's inside of you is connected to God and his word. And so many of you, again, going back to the idea of why God did this thing happen in order for me to get this. 
Like how is a good God good that he would have to make me go through this many miscarriages in order for me to understand this thing or for me to lose this person in order for me to understand this thing? I want to show you a picture of my, my why God pruning moment. I think I have it on there. I might have it. Is it on there? Oh, yeah, there it is. That chair, that surgery, that was after my second surgery, 29 staples, infection, pick line in my arm, was my why on earth God moment. I just decided to plant this church. We just decided to ask people to join us. Why would you do that? What did I do? Is this even still going to happen? How can you be good? Honestly, maybe that's too honest for some of you, but I wrestled with the idea of God being good when I'm sitting in this chair day in and day out for multiple weeks, wasn't around my kids, wasn't around my wife because if they mess with the pick line, that could cause a greater infection. So I sat in that chair for 24, I mean, bathroom breaks and all, but 24 hours a day. This is my pruning picture. Many of you have a similar picture. It was a picture of a marriage that's no longer in existence. It was a picture of an ultrasound, an announcement that later had to follow another announcement of a stillborn or a miscarriage. It was a picture of a family photo, but now that family photo is missing someone. These horrible, hard moments in life where you wonder, God, what kind of pruning is this? This doesn't seem to match up and align. And I think the reality is that Jesus is so good at redeeming evil, sometimes it looks like he may have even caused it. He's so good at redeeming things, you wonder, God, did you cause this? Can I tell you that that as a result of the fall, as a result of humanity choosing to find a different vine other than God himself, sin and evil would enter the world. And the hard, sad reality is that we live in a completely fallen world. And the world has fallen because of the evils of the world, because of sin. And so some of the things that happen in your life that have happened in my life have only happened because God was trying to get glory somehow out of it. I'm a firm believer that God allows a Christian, a follower of Jesus to experience the same type of suffering that anyone else in the world would experience because he knows that if that follower would remain, would remain with him throughout these circumstances, there would be a greater level of character and life produced. That's why some of the greatest ministries that are done and are birth have been birthed from the greatest pain that people have experienced. I have a good friend of our family who's lost her best friend to cancer at like age eight. And now she has helped start a cancer foundation that's helping, helping equip, helping provide resources to so many cancer patients. You see, God allows followers of Jesus to go through things because there's a world watching and they're experiencing these things and they have no idea They have no idea how to get out of this situation. They have no idea how to have perspective on this situation. And somehow God in his sovereignty and care, if you remain with him, he will help you through. But one of the hard parts is it's hard to remain by yourself. I think one of the beautiful things about a church community 
is that people can help you remain with God. When you're in your hardest moments of pain, that the church community can rally around you and help you remain with God. Because what the enemy wants you to do is to question the process of pruning that God has in your life. He wants you to question, oh, is God actually really good? Or maybe if you would have just done X, Y, and Z, this wouldn't have happened. It's not about your performance. It's about remaining with the vine. And so if you are one of those people who have experienced this level of hardship and you still haven't processed it on a soul level, that's why we have a care team, a prayer team. That's why we want to journey with you. We want you to bring your person. We want you to bring your doubts. Because this is very real. If I'm being honest, I still have moments where I am asking God, why on earth did you allow this to happen? My kids asked me the other day, are we going to watch you play basketball? They know that that was part of my, what I did growing up. And I'm sitting in this pruning moment and I'm having to sit here and look at my kids and I don't know. Why not, dad? You sit in that tension in that moment. Almost as if like, I, I almost feel like I'm failing my kids. And so, that's the way that the enemy's manipulating it. Like I'm failing my kids. Daddy doesn't, daddy doesn't need to jump on the trampoline. Daddy can sit on the trampoline. Daddy can still spend time with you. But what God is doing in this pruning process is he's saying, Jay, will you remain with me? Because there's a character that your kids need to experience that's gonna have to, the the only way I could have produced this is you going through this. Not you being able to play basketball in front of them, but you being able to sit and feel the pain and say, you know what, God, you're still good. I trust you. I trust what you're trying to produce and I'm gonna remain. I'm gonna remain. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of why we can consider these things is because God cut off Jesus so he can just cut us back. Think about that for a minute. God completely cut off his son so that he could just cut us back. He cut off his son to death, to death on a cross. Jesus remained so attached to the vine that it cost him his life. And for a split second, when the world would go dark, he would be cut off. But then three days later, y'all, he would raise again. And he would provide an avenue so that, that we can have this pruning process. Notice that the branch is still attached to the vine when it gets pruned. It's still attached to the vine. He hasn't gone anywhere. He still remained with us. That's the beauty of God's faithfulness is that even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. That's just who he is. And lastly, I want you to see in John 15, towards the end, it says in verse 15, it says, I do not, he's talking to his disciples. He says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit, sh- that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give to you. This is what I command you, love one another. He's telling this to his disciples because they, he's, he's about to leave. They're troubled. Right after this, he's going to talk about how they're going to be persecuted. 
And he's telling them that the mission is to remain to the, connected to the vine. And I love this. You got to understand this subtle, this subtle transition from servant to friend. He says, uh-uh, I don't look at you. I don't call you servants anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you friend. Many of you in this room need to understand that Jesus is not just a Lord. He's not just a master, but he's your friend. He's your friend. Honestly, he's your friend. I think for the first time, you need to sit with that reality. That Jesus is actually a friend of you. And if you don't have a relationship, that he first actually also wants to be a friend of yours as well. That he's a friend. These disciples had no clue what was before them. They had no clue of the persecution. They had no clue of what they were going to see with Jesus on the cross. But yet his final words here in this moment was to remain. And guess what? Some of them didn't do it. And yet he would still die. He would still reveal himself. And then they would remain because of God's grace. Jesus didn't give them some five-point marketing plan on how to advance the kingdom. He didn't tell them about some cool venue of how they were going to host the first revival of the church. He said, I want you to remain to the vine. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. There's this old hymn that I want you to sit in. I'll just read the first line. I'm not going to sing it. Trust me, you don't want that. It says, what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let me remind you, friends, of Jesus' first miracle. They ran out of wine at a wedding. His mom, everyone was kind of freaking out. and Mom went and got him and said, son... I need you to do something. And there are these wine jugs and they would fill them up with water and Jesus' first miracle would be to turn this water into wine. But before the water was turned into wine, someone had to do the ordinary tiresome task of filling the water jugs. And many of us, we just want the new wine to appear. But Jesus is calling you to fill the jar first. Fill the jar of water. Fill it. Because there's new wine that he has. Most times in that custom, they brought out, they had the good wine first. And then at the end, when everyone was a little, you know, then they'd bring out the extra wine, which is always the worst. No, Jesus is opposite. He, he saves the best for last. Because it was him, the vine dresser producing new wine. So many of you, God wants you to participate in your own transformation. And my hope and prayer today is that you would participate by filling the jar with two things, prayer and repentance. We're about to enter an Advent season where we wait expectantly for the birth of our Savior and I want us to enter into this season with a greater understanding of the friend that we have in Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that you would consider starting one today. 
But many of us, we don't abide, we're not remaining because we don't believe that God can make new wine. And he wants, he wants to show that in your life. And so today, as we sing this final song, I want this to be a contemplative space. You don't have to stand. You don't even have to raise your arms if you don't want to. But I want you to do two things. I want you to consider praying. And I want you to consider this, this idea of repentance. And what that, that word, again, can be a trigger word. But what that word simply means is you're going, this way, you're going this way and you're saying, you know what, God? Your way is better. And so as we sing this song, as we consider you participating in the transformation of filling your own jars with water today, would you, can, would you seek the Lord and ask him, where are you not remaining? God, where am I not remaining? Where have I just allowed my affections for the world and affections for these things to outpace my affections for you? And ask yourself, is God really the only vine in your life? Because then we can come to him and say, God, we repent and we pursue your vine in your way.